Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Finally, Aaron, finally we've got some college football to talk about and discuss. This is the Punt and Pass podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, along with my co-host, Aaron Murray, in the 2017 college football season. It's underway. Week zero, as some called, was last week. A couple games, some overseas. Aaron, I know you worked one out in the Bay Area, but this is it. A huge slate of college football games to kick off the 2017 season. And we're going to be talking about the biggest games right here on the Punt and Pass podcast. So welcome in. This is officially week one, and it's a bit of a road show. Uh, I'm out in Phoenix, Arizona. Aaron, you are where? I'm in Orlando right now. I'm calling the the UCF FIU game on Thursday night. So my first game in the booth. So I'm kind of pumped up about that one and and getting rolling. But like you said, it's going to be a great weekend of college football. We got a lot of big games uh, in the SEC, Big Ten, Big Twelve. I mean, all over the place. So I'm excited to to talk about them with you and, and get this season rolling on the right note. Yeah, arguably the biggest opening weekend in college football history, statistically. Uh, the Saturday night game inside the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta is the biggest opening weekend college football game ever. Number one, Alabama taking on number three, Florida State. We'll talk about that one. As you mentioned, a couple big-time cross-conference games happening. Saturday afternoon, number 17, Florida is going to play number 11, Michigan. Uh, a lot to talk about and unpack with that game. The third game we're going to touch on, too, is in Atlanta, also, I think it's extremely intriguing. Number 25, Tennessee, against Georgia Tech. Again, that's in Atlanta, so a de facto home game from Tech. We all know how passionate that Tennessee volunteer fan base is, so I'm sure they packed the stadium. Of course, we're going to touch on other games as well. LSU and BYU, who are dealing with the devastating Hurricane Harvey. That game's been moved to New Orleans, Louisiana, a big, big game Sunday afternoon. Texas A&M plays UCLA in a game that went into overtime just a year ago. And Georgia taking on Appalachian State between the hedges Saturday evening. It is a fantastic opening weekend of college football. And you know what's crazy? Week two right behind it, we're not going to have anything let up. I mean, we got another fantastic slate of games next week. But let's start to unpack what we're going to be getting into this weekend. And first, I just want to ask you a couple personal questions. First game in the booth, Thursday night, are you nervous? Are you excited? I know a lot of our listeners and fans saw you up in the studio with CBS Sports Network last week, inside college football, a couple Power 5 breakdown shows. How'd that go? Did you enjoy it? Are you are you feeling more comfortable? Are you ready to rock and roll Thursday night? Yeah, it was a good start. I think it was great to kind of get in the studio and, and learn some more. And, and any opportunity you get in our business to – be in front of a camera, uh, be in front of a mic and just continue honing your skills and, uh, working on for me, like, I was like, where do I even look? You know, am I looking at the camera? Am I looking at my co-host? So just learning those little things, those little nuances were great. And then last weekend I got to head out to San Jose and do a little shadowing for the USF San Jose game. So just seeing the process of 
what's going on with the interviews with coaches, uh, pregame, getting ready to rock and roll. And um, so it was a good experience these first few weeks. And, and I'm excited for my first game tomorrow night. Going to be a little different being in the booth. Uh, Going to be itching to get down there on the field. But I'm still around the game, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's exciting, too. I know everybody's going to be certainly tuning in to follow you and see how you're doing. How'd that game go in the Bay Area last week? I'll be honest, I didn't really catch much of it. Was it a... Uh, your typical opening weekend game, some turnovers, a little bit of sloppiness, or, or was it a good game? It was actually very uh, a lot of punting. You'd have loved it. I think there was <laughs> ten punts per per punter for the game, or a little over over that. Uh, a little sloppy first game. Uh, some new coaches, and and I was looking for a lot from USF, and they started off so they're actually down sixteen nothing in the first quarter. So a little surprise there, and and their offense and their and their highest mechanic quarterback ended up turning things around. Uh, and they ended up winning pretty good uh, to start their season off. But it was a good game. It was exciting. Like I said, your type of game, just a lot of punting back and forth. Speaking on the flip side of that, without a lot of punting, old Georgia offensive coordinator Mike Bobo absolutely gets the ball rolling off on the right foot. Colorado State just whooped up on Oregon State. How many points did they score? 56, I think. I think it was up there. I mean, it was awesome to see. A lot of plays that I ran, I remember we were watching the game before ours, and I was like, man, there's there's our 144 demon. There's our 144 angel. I mean, same plays that we were running five, six, seven years ago, uh, still working somehow. They really haven't found out how to defend the offense. Uh, and, and great opening game for him. New stadium for those guys. Uh, so they opened it up with a bang. Sweet. You know, I, I know a lot of people throughout the Southeast, Georgia fans in particular, are excited for Coach Bobo's success right now. They've got some big-time games coming up. I know they play Colorado, I believe, next week, and then they have a trip to Tuscaloosa this year as well. It'll be interesting to see how Coach Bobo can get his troops fired up to head into Bryant-Denny Stadium and take on the machine that is Alabama. But it looks like it, Aaron. It looks like a head coaching job at a bit of a bigger school could be on the near horizon for Coach Bobo. I would say... And this is just a complete guess. I would think he stays away from the SEC. He could find a lot of success in the ACC. And if you look at the landscape of coaching and schools that are out there right now or that could be out there at the end of the season, that looks like a, a good landing spot for where Coach Bobo could be headed next. What do you think? I was thinking Ole Miss. You know, I'm thinking <laughs> SEC. I think I think it, I think it, it's in his blood. I mean, he's an SEC guy. He's been around it his entire life. I just I see him eventually get in there who knows what opportunities are gonna you know be upon him come the end of the season this year and i think that determines a lot you know the last thing you want to go to is head into a school that may have some sanctions and they're going to be in you know prohibited from going to bowl games or recruiting and and those types of things so he's definitely going to kind of see where where the world is uh the college football world when it comes to coaching at the end of the season but there should be a lot of opportunities for him come the end of the season uh, just based off his first two years and and if he's able to continue having success in this third year yeah i think taking a job in the sec in particular the sec west is like a death wish i mean especially old miss you said it best who knows if they have sanctions you're gonna have to play the likes of auburn lsu alabama every single year now i'm not saying coach bobo is shy away from a challenge but that just seems pretty pretty tough i mean Let's go to the ACC, win 10 games a year, be a hero, and then wait for the job that you want. Who knows what that is? But, hey, you know Coach Bobo better than anyone. Maybe Ole Miss is on the horizon. But enough about that. Let's talk some SEC football. That's what we're here to do on the Punt and Pass podcast, and we have a fantastic slate of games 
on opening weekend. Let's start with the biggest one. Number one, Alabama taking on number three, Florida State in Atlanta, kind of kicking off the Mercedes-Benz Stadium tour of 2017. I know there was an NFL preseason game in there last week, but the capacity will be a big difference. The volume will be a big difference, and this will really kick off what is surely to be a fantastic 2017 season. So a couple quick things for you. Bama is a seven-point favorite. The over-under in this game is 49.5 points, and there's a lot to unpack. You know, Bama losing the national championship game last year on the last play. Florida State finishing off the season really well, beating Michigan in the Orange Bowl. What do you think? I mean, what are your general and, and first thoughts on this game? We'll get into our picks later on, but it seems like two coaches who are very familiar with each other, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher, bring their teams in to essentially clash inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I think it's going to be a close game. I'll give you my prediction here in a little bit, but should Bama fans be worried, or is this going to be the same old thing? Are they just going to roll over Florida State and, and carry on towards another what would seem to be undefeated season? I think it's going to be a great game, and I think you the first thing you do is look at defense, and I think the strength of both of these teams is on the defensive side of the football. And once again, you're talking about a brand-new stadium, first game of the season, always a little sloppy on the offensive side of the ball to start seasons off. So you look at two teams that the strength of their team, like I said, is on defense. So not going to be a high scoring game. In my opinion, I think it's going to be uh, on the underside, um, probably a couple turnovers here and there, but just uh, it's going to be who can control the ball on the ground. You know, what team is going to be able to dictate the speed of the game. Uh, and I think right now with Alabama, with their offense line, with their running backs, they have at the moment, I think they're going to kind of be the more physical team uh, dictating the speed. And I think FSU, that is their weak point. I think their weakness is their offensive line. And that's only going to hinder them in the run game and then also protecting their quarterback. Uh, and that was an issue they had last season, not being able to protect Francois, who uh, has the ability to be a great quarterback. He has some talent on the outside. Uh, they need to find a, a running back to kind of replace what they lost last season. But they have to figure out a way to keep him upright, keep him from getting hit. And and that Alabama defense, they know how to get after quarterback. So that's going to be the issue facing FSU for this game. Yeah, we've talked about it time and time again. Alabama really just wears teams down in the trenches, whether it's the offensive line or the defensive line. And when you look at last season, what DeAndre Francois was able to do as a true freshman, when you see these highlights, even if he was making a huge gain downfield, dude was getting absolutely licked. I mean, he would get essentially pummeled into the ground time after time, game after game, and they're going to have to keep them upright, especially against some freaks in the front seven like Alabama has. So that'll be really, really interesting to see. I think he will be better improved than last year. Hopefully, like you said, that offensive line can help him out. But you said it. It starts on defense. Florida State returns nine on defense, including their safety, Derwin James. Derwin James was injured for most of last season. He is a playmaker on the back end of that defense. On the flip side, though, Alabama has just as good of a defense. They reload every single year. They don't have to rebuild. And the number one player I'm looking at on the field who is a certified stud and an All-American is Minka Fitzpatrick. Minka Fitzpatrick is an absolute game changer. This dude is a ball hawk on the back end. He can make plays in special teams. Look for him to make one of those big-time momentum-changing plays throughout the game. 
Um, and then on the offensive side of the ball for Alabama, that's where my questions come in because Lane Kiffin's gone. Brian DeBall is their new offensive coordinator. He has had three former stints as a play caller, and they all haven't worked out very well. Now, I understand he's got five Super Bowl rings in the NFL. He's coached under Belichick. He's coached under Nick Saban before. But his biggest struggles come when he calls plays. And this is going to be a pretty big test against him because it's going to be a hostile environment. There's going to be a lot of emotions running through the building. And not only do those emotions run for players, they run for coaches as well. So my question off the bat goes to Brian DeBall, the new offensive coordinator at Alabama. And that's where the questions are raised for me, because we all know they can run the ball, right? Bo Scarborough is going to be back there. Jalen Hurts is going to be handing it off. Their offensive line is going to do what they do. But when push comes to shove and they've got to convert a third and medium or a third and long, he's going to have to dial something up because Florida State has the athletes not only to cover on the backside but to put pressure on Jalen Hurts. Have you done much uh, digging on Brian DeBall? Are you worried about Lane Kiffin not being at Alabama anymore? I think the one thing he has for him is, is they do have such a strong running game. And at the end of the day, and they have a strong defense where as a play caller, you kind of, you build your game plan around that of understanding what kind of game are you looking for? What kind of game does your head coach want? And with, with Saban, it's a physical game. It's a pounding the rock game. And, and I think as a play caller, he understands that. And he's still returning uh, the sec offensive player of the year last year in Jalen hurts, a guy who had 36 touchdowns last season. Uh, did struggle in some in some big games later in the season, but at the end of the day, he was a freshman. And as a freshman quarterback, you're going to have those struggles against some top SEC defenses. Uh, so I look for him to to make some improvements this year uh, with his accuracy, with his decision making, uh, being able to continue to create with his legs. And I think with both these quarterbacks, I think that's the biggest thing that the defenses struggle with nowadays. It's the ability of quarterbacks to extend plays. Uh, just put such a, a burden on defenses as a, as a defense alignment, you're uncertain. Do you want to rush the quarterback and then he's able to break contain? Or are you going to, to uh, play more of a contained position and where you give the quarterback more time to throw the ball in the pocket? So these two quarterbacks are going to be key um, focus for both these defenses of exactly how are they going to play them? Uh, because they are just such a threat with their feet uh, and their ability to create plays uh, outside the pocket as well. So, for the Alabama offense, going back to what you were talking about, I think it's just continue to be balanced, continue to um, just protect the ball. I think if Jalen Hurts can protect the ball, make some plays uh, with his accuracy and with his feet, uh, I think they'll be able to, to put some points on the board. But they are going against a great defense in FSU. So uh, just going back to my main points earlier in, the, in this session is I just think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I don't see a lot of points in this game. Uh, I just think with two top defenses – uh, new offensive coordinator in Alabama and just the uncertainty of the the offensive line for FSU. I just see this this game being dominated by defenses and and once again also turnovers. Who can hold on to the ball the best? Yeah, so turnovers is going to be key. If you think it's low scoring, I would assume that that leans towards Bama's advantage. Special teams when it's a low scoring game also going to be a big factor. Bama has a very good punter in J.K. Scott. He can flip the field. He's comfortable kicking in Atlanta. It'll be interesting to see how Florida State can prepare for that. Are they going to bring pressure on the punt game, try to maybe get a block in here or there, or set up a return? Who knows? But, man, there's a lot to unpack here. All right, let's get into our predictions. I've got a statistic here, and I I went to the research department, which is me on Google, and I figured this out. Bama's 0-3 in their last three games without Lane Kiffin as a play caller, okay? Last year in the national championship game, 
he had left to be the coach at FAU, and Steve Sarkeesian, the new offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons, stepped in, and they lost. Now, granted, they put a lot of points on the board, but that's an L without Lane Kiffin. Now we got to go all the way back to 2013, the last time Lane Kiffin was not the offensive coordinator at Alabama, and they played Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl, and they lost. They didn't score as many points as they would like, but they took the L. And then the game before that, None other than the kick six against Auburn. That is the third L in a row without Lane Kiffin as a play caller. So here's my hot take. I'm picking Florida State in this game. I know it's going to be an unpopular opinion. I know people are going to call me crazy. Alabama has been very successful in these kickoff games lately. But there's a lot of change over here, and I think the biggest one is going to be the play caller, Brian DeBall, his first game as Alabama's offensive coordinator, and what I think Jimbo Fisher can bring to the table to contrast what he thinks is going to come from Nick Saban and this new offensive coordinator. So I'm giving you my pick right here. Florida State's going to win. I think it'll be a close game. I think it's under 49.5, but you said it. There's going to be a turnover, uh, a fumble a big play in special teams, and Florida State's going to eke by and win. Now, is that going to matter for Alabama in the long run? No, because I think they run the table and make it back to the SEC championship game, which will be in the same stadium. But because Lane Kiffin is not calling plays for Alabama, I'm picking Florida State to win a close game. So Florida State take the seven points, go under 49.5, and then blame Lane Kiffin for not being in Tuscaloosa any more it'll be a crazy start to the season but that's exactly what's going to happen and you can say it definitively because lane kiffin no longer in the fold in tuscaloosa what do you say about that big dog well listen i got my own little stat for you uh mr statman over there <laughs> nick saban 10 and 0 versus former assistants okay and i'm pretty sure okay. jimbo was a was an assistant at one point in his career. That so just true. throwing it out there, Nick Saban, the best coach in college football, 10 and O versus former assistants. So I'm picking Bama. I think two things. One, we talk about the offense line of FSU. I think games are one, the trenches, these types of games uh, early in the season. Offenses are going to be a little bit more vanilla to kind of get a feel for exactly where they are heading into the season. Uh, so I think Alabama is a huge, huge advantage there. And two, I think Alabama is just hungry. I think losing to Clemson last year, and all this talk, you know, ACC is better than SEC. They, ACC was ten and four and ten and four versus uh, SEC teams last year. I think Alabama takes pride in not only being the best team in the SEC, but also representing the SEC. So I know Nick had those guys working extra hard this offseason. I know the motivations there. Uh, like you said, like I said, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, definitely under the forty-nine. Uh, I think FSU covers. I think it's going to be a game decided. I think by a field goal, three oh, wow. points or less. Uh, but I think it's going to be a great one. All right. Awesome. So there it is. That's the first game previewed. Obviously, um, some dissenting opinions there, but we'll see. We'll revisit it next week and, and discuss who's right, who's wrong. That's going to be an awesome game to watch. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Second game on the dock on this week's Week 1 preview, Punt and Pass podcast. A big one with a lot of kind of mystery surrounding it. Coaches don't want to release the the uh, depth charts. 
Um, who's more macho? Jim Harbaugh. I talked to the media this way. Jim McElwain. I don't know who my quarterback's going to be. All right, Florida versus Michigan. Number 17, Gators against the number 11, Wolverines. Michigan is giving three and a half points. I've seen it at four in some places. The over-under is 44 and a half. This game is at 3.30 p.m. on ABC Saturday afternoon. A lot of storylines here, of course, on the Florida end. Suspension of seven players, including Antonio Callaway, obviously looms large for this game heading into Dallas. A lot of questions at quarterback as well. They've got Felipe Franks, the redshirt freshman, Luke Del Rio, Malik Zaire. Who's going to start? And can these playmakers in Florida step up for some of the uncertainty. It's going to be interesting. Michigan has not announced who their quarterback would be. Most would say that it's going to be Wilton Spate. Um, But Coach Harbaugh playing it close to the chest. He needs to make a statement against an SEC team. What do you think here? And and before you say something, the jerseys Michigan are wearing are awful. I mean, they are horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. horrendous. I mean, just because you got the Jordan Jumpman logo on it doesn't mean you can wear whatever the the hell you want. It's the only thing saving it. It's the only thing saving it at the moment. They are, honestly, I I, I I think I was going to pick Michigan to win until they wear those jerseys. Now I say they're going to get blown out because they're such bad jerseys. I think their jerseys, the uniform choice is is the definition of this game, and and I'm going with sloppy. (laughs) I think it's going to be a sloppy game on both sides of the ball. And it's just a lot of inexperience. You have a lot of inexperience at Florida. You have a lot of ton of inexperience at Georgia or at Michigan. They lost 10 defensive starters, seven offensive starters, um, a young team, probably the youngest team in the country right now. I know they have a great coach. I know they've done an amazing job in the recruiting process. It's just, they're young. They're young on a big stage. Uh, and that first game of the season. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of mistakes, a lot of guys trying to, figure themselves out and, and trying to figure out the identity of this team. Uh, I definitely think Michigan heading into the season is a little overrated. Uh, I don't think they should be ranked as high as they are. I think they, they are because of Jim Harbaugh and uh, the antics, the excitement that he brings to that team. But talent wise, I think there's a rebuilding year for them. And then for Florida as well, I think even this, this week alone, they've actually added an eighth player to the suspension, James Robinson, uh, a, a receiver, suspended for marijuana possession so a guy that might not have been getting into the game but just once again another distraction for this Florida team where you start to question the culture uh, exactly what's going on down there in Gainesville you know these guys uh, not disciplined as a team uh, and that goes not only on the field but off the field what are you doing when you step outside that locker room is a great definition of where you are in a football team you know if your football team cannot handle themselves uh, when they're in class when they're out on the town having a drink uh, it definitely dictates what kind of football team you're going to have on the football field. So, like I said, I think it's just going to be a sloppy game between uh, youth uh, and just not a very disciplined football team. Yeah, youth, uh, inexperience, and undisciplined are three adjectives you don't really want to bring to the forefront when discussing a football game, and especially one where these teams have had so long to prepare for. Um, you just said it, Aaron. When you have a lot of suspensions, it takes away from the focus. These players just seem to be running amok in Gainesville. It's gotten pretty outrageous. But that's what happens when you're a Gator. I mean, that's what seems to be the norm now, and it's unfortunate because I'm sure there's a lot of great guys within the program. Coach McElwain seems like a good dude, but – Heck, we, we dealt with it at Georgia at times. Sometimes you just go through a bad streak of discipline. Um, it seems like 
you're always in the wrong spot at the wrong time, even when you may or may not be doing a lot of terrible things. Now, that's not to say what they have been doing isn't terrible because it quite simply is, but they got to play the game. They still got to play the game. It's a big-time game. I think this one was probably pitched on this weekend, not only because it's a cross-conference game, but because of the magnitude and the history of the schools involved. So this is a big one. It's a color rush game. Again, I go back to the jerseys just because, uh, God, Michigan is just god-awful. Florida's got the all-blue going on. So it'll be tough to watch on TV. Hope your your 4K TV, Aaron, that 70-incher that you have in your house can withstand the resolution that comes down the two. But another stat for you because I'm stat man. Florida's won 27 consecutive season openers. That's the best in the nation. That is the best mark in the nation, 27 consecutive season opening victories. But they're dealing with so much here. And I think Jim Harbaugh, uh, I know he's playing it close to the chest, not releasing the roster yet or the depth chart, so to speak, of I think Florida loses this game. This is way too much to overcome. I, I know they've got a really good offensive line. I think the questions at quarterback raise a lot of uncertainty, putting points on the board. They're always going to have talent on defense. But Michigan's just kind of going to try to grind them down. I, I don't know if Florida has the playmakers without Antonio Callaway to make up for what they're going to be missing uh, due to the uncertainty at quarterback and then due to not having the experience to um, take on these types of magnitude games. Yeah, it starts with the quarterback at Florida. And I think this competition is one that's gone on a little too long. I think as a quarterback – you kind of want to know who's a starter, you know, who is going to get these reps game week and still the uncertainty of, of, of splitting reps uh, at this point in camp right now. Uh, it just doesn't reassure any of those guys. It also doesn't build a good chemistry with the rest of the team, especially when the offensive side of the football where you need that quarterback getting every single rep he can get, especially these guys who uh, are young in the offense. Don't, you know, don't necessarily have all the reps they need to feel very comfortable with these plays. So, I think right now that's the biggest question mark, and it's a huge question mark, is who's going to be under center uh, come Saturday. And if I'm Florida, if I'm Jim McElwain, I'm, I'm going with Felipe Franks. I think you need to build around this guy. I think you need to kind of to bite the bullet maybe and say, hey, we might not have a great year, but we're going to give this guy some game experience. We're going to get him rolling this season, uh, and then we're building around a guy who we're going to have a future with for the next two or three years. So just you got to suck it up at some point. I remember my freshman year, we went through a learning curve. I redshirted, came in that next year. We went six and seven. The first time Georgia's had a losing season in forever. And and, and then the next two seasons, we're at the SEC championship game. So sometimes when you're building around that quarterback position, you have to kind of uh, give and take a little bit. And this year, maybe give a little bit. And then hopefully it pays off for you at the end of the year or in years to come. Um, so they need to make a decision. They need to get rolling with them. I'm still picking Florida. I just think on the defensive side of the football, uh, they did lose a lot last year, but they do have so much, so much talent uh, in, in that side of the football. And with Michigan, with just the inexperience, the youth, um, I got to go with Florida on this one. I think it's going to be a sloppy game. I think it's going to be a low scoring game once again. Um, but I think Florida's going to pull it out. All right. You pick Florida. I pick Michigan. Again, some dissenting opinion. Uh, how about that point spread, though? Because I think Michigan, 
Uh, if they're given three and a half or four, they probably don't cover that. It's going to be a close game. I think just because you spoke about how good Florida's defense is, the over-under is 44 and a half. I would say they probably go under just because Florida's had such a tough time putting points on the board even last year. With the uncertainty at quarterback, it's going to be tough to find the end zone. I don't see this game getting out of hand. I think Michigan wins close, again, by maybe a field goal. You think Florida's going to win. I'll, I'll listen to what you say about the point spread and the total. Yeah, I'm going Florida 2017. Once again, a field goal is going to determine this game. It just You're not going to see the end zone a lot. Michigan, not a lot of skill players uh, on that side of the football. Florida with the inexperience at the quarterback position, uh, the uncertainty, and also – not a lot of skill position around them. I think this is just going to be a defensive slug or not, maybe a, a pick six, maybe a fumble return for a touchdown. I see a few, uh, two or three, maybe four turnovers in this game. And I think that's where you're going to get some points is based on field position, maybe a defensive touchdown. I just don't see these offenses getting into the end zone much this game. Yeah. You said it's sloppy, inexperienced, undisciplined, not a good recipe for an exciting football game. But we'll watch it, and we'll report back to you next week, let you know who's right, who's wrong, and if we're correct when we're saying this game's going to be as ugly as the jerseys that they're wearing on the field. Again, let me emphasize, those Mays Jordan jerseys are god-awful. They are terrible. Speaking about uh, maybe an ugly jersey or not, Tennessee takes on Georgia Tech inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium. This is the Labor Day special. This game's at 8 p.m. on ESPN Monday evening, the end of the Chick-fil-A kickoff classic. Number 25, Tennessee, takes on Georgia Tech and Paul Johnson. And look, Aaron, I hate to say it, but Paul Johnson and Georgia Tech have had recent success against the SEC. Butch Jones is on the hot seat at Tennessee, and I think he must win this opener to get the volunteers off on the right track in 2017. So what gives? Georgia Tech dismissed Diedrich Millis from the team. That was their best player. Tennessee needs to replace Joshua Dobbs, Alvin Kamara, Derek Barnett, Josh Malone. These are big-time playmakers that the Vols don't have anymore. I think this could be one of the most interesting games of a jam-packed weekend. Let's break it down. Man, I mean, it's going to be a great game. Tennessee's going to travel extremely well. Georgia Tech, obviously, right down the road. Downtown Atlanta. If I if I just jump right into it, the, the thing that jumps out to me is this. Tennessee no longer has that kind of neck-wrangling expectation. Last year, everybody picked them to win the SEC East. Last year, everybody said this is the year for Tennessee. Butch Jones is going to get it done. Those expectations are no longer there, and I think that gives the players and the coaches a little bit of a sigh of relief um, and some comfort just to go in there, have fun, execute the game plan, and take care of Georgia Tech's triple option offense, which they've had all offseason to prepare for. So that may tell you where I'm leaning, but I think, honestly, this could be one of the most interesting games to cap off week one of 2017. I think it's going to be a close game, and the Tennessee definitely has the advantage when it comes to preparation. Uh, I think you see a lot of teams that struggle against Georgia Tech in that offense. Is It's tough to kind of get guys going and, and understanding how to take on cut blocks, how to read that triple option in just a week. And now Tennessee's had a whole offseason. I'm sure they worked on it in the spring. 
I'm sure they've had two or three weeks where they've had to work on it right now in camp. So they're going to be well prepared. Obviously, it's a different speed when you're going against starters, when you're going against a team that this is what they run uh, and their players are designed for it. But the preparation they've been able to have, I think, is a huge advantage for for this defense. Uh, and then also losing uh, on the Georgia Tech side of the football, their quarterback of three seasons. So they're looking for a quarterback right now, still uncertain about who exactly that quarterback is going to be. Uh, they have about four or five guys right now that are rotating in. I think one or two of them definitely had the chance. I think uh, Matthew Jordan is going to be the guy come game time, but still a guy who has not gotten all the reps this camp. Uh, and then you get get rid of your best running back, your best player on offense, Dedrick Mills, uh, a guy who had 770 yards rushing last year, 12 touchdowns as a freshman. You look at the rest of the backs, they have 14 combined carries for the rest of their running backs. So just a lot of inexperience over there uh, on that side of the football between two positions and that type of offense where you need experience and you need some talented guys. So I think between that, uh, like I said, Tennessee having the, the, the ability to prep for this type of offense uh, gives them a huge advantage heading into this game. But Georgia Tech will keep things close. They'll keep the ball. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of scoring just because uh, the time of possession is going to heavy, heavily favor uh, tech during the game. Uh, it's going to come down in the fourth quarter and who can finish it off. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you obviously get the long preseason to prepare for the triple option, but a cup block is a cup block. I mean, I don't know how these defensive players can't have that in the back of their mind, understanding what to expect at full speed on a fast track. It seems like what will be inside Mercedes Benz stadium, Georgia Tech, like you said, holds the ball extremely long. Now, who will be the quarterback? I would guess it's going to be Matthew Jordan. Bigger question is who's going to step up <clears throat> for the absence of Dedrick Mills. They have a stable of running backs there. How well they can execute that triple option remains to be seen. But again, I go back to Paul Johnson having that recent success against the SEC. It, it's tough. It's tough for me to pick. The line here, Tennessee's given three, which I guess um, – is interesting because I would think this is kind of a Georgia Tech home game. The over-under, a big number, 56 points. I don't know if they're going to be running up and down the field. If Tennessee can get a few stops on defense, just a few, uh, I would expect this game to go under. But I think Georgia Tech is going to start off pretty well. And I think Georgia Tech will put points on the board early, get the fans up and going inside the new stadium. However, I'm going back to Tennessee having – no expectation. They can be a little loose. Um, there's obviously questions at quarterback there. Who's going to start for the Volunteers? Is it going to be Quentin Dormady, who's the pocket passer, or Jared Guarantano, who's a bit more of a mobile mobile quarterback? I, I think it's. I think they're going to go with QD. I, I think Quentin Dormady's going to get the start, probably a bit more reliable in a situation like this. My player to watch out for, and I don't think I'm going out on a limb here, is John Kelly, the running back for Tennessee. He stepped in last year, had some success. I think he's got the talent to be a top-five running back in the SEC when it's all said and done. I think Tennessee wins the special teams battle, and that is why I'm picking them to win the game and cover. Tennessee's going to win. They're going to cover the three points. I think it does go over 56 points, and Butch Jones and Tennessee get off on the right foot and prepare for that week three matchup against Florida, which will probably make or break their entire season. Yeah, I go back to the quarterback position for Tennessee and Quinn Dormady. Uh, definitely all indications are for him to be the starter come come game one versus Georgia Tech. A uh, kid I actually had the opportunity to work with this spring, and 
And I went out there and kind of watched him throw the ball around. And I was like, man, this kid's pretty good. Uh, no idea who he was, where he, you know, where he was playing at. Uh, just thought he could make all the throws and kind of talk to him afterwards. And, and, and we talked about what he's been able to do. And, and the kid who he's had four games last year, he was able to get in four games, had a tremendous spring, uh, played extremely well in their spring game. Like you said, a strong arm can make all the throws, uh, but it is going to be a big task. And it's his first game starting in a brand new stadium, the excitement, the jitters. Uh, so I kind of agree with you when I think Tennessee is going to come out a little slow. I think they're going to have to calm their nerves down a little bit. I think they're going to get used to playing against that style of offense uh, with a, a triple option. I think it's going to take them a quarter to fully grasp what exactly is going on. Um, but I see them making a comeback. I definitely see it being a little bit higher scoring of a game. Uh, definitely going to be over that 56 points, uh, but I do see Tennessee covering. I see them laying the game, being able to, like I said, figure out a way to stop that Georgia Tech triple offense. I think Quinn Dorman is going to continue to get better and better throughout the season. I see him getting better this game where he's able to just calm down uh, and make his reads and go out there and do his thing. And and, and I think Butch Jones starts this season off right. Uh, and you look at the past three years, they've won three straight bowl games, um, they're 15 and four over their last 19 games. Only Alabama in the SEC is better at 18 and one. So he's done a great job of coaching these guys. And I know there's a lot of expectations last year, uh, a lot of injuries, a lot of close games. Uh, I think right now, I think he's a great coach and I know he's on the hot seat and I think every coach pretty much in the SEC is on the hot seat, unless your name's Nick Saban. So I think that's, that's the part of the job description when you coach uh, in this league is there's high expectations. And I think that's what you want as a coach. I think that's what you want as a player. So they're going to get started off right this year. I don't think as a team, uh, you can have huge expectations from this series. I see eight or nine wins, but I do see him keeping his job and, and them having the ability to have a great year the following year. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you on this game. Uh, this is the first one that we've picked the same team on. We both said Tennessee covers that three points, and it goes over 56. Again, this will be an exciting game. I don't think it can be understated how different the atmosphere is in these Chick-fil-A kickoff classic games. You and I played in one against Boise State in 2011, had a good first half, uh, the second half. They came out and pretty much played basketball against our defense. I don't think the football touched the ground for Boise State in the second half. Uh, we got ran out of the stadium, and we lost our second game in a row against South Carolina. Then we won 10 straight, went to the SEC championship game. Speak about the atmosphere inside Georgia Dome at that time, now the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium, because there's going to be two games played in there this weekend, and I think it'll be really interesting to see how these coaches and players react to it. Oh, I think it's going to be rocking. I think you have a brand new stadium. It's beautiful. Uh, you throw in the fact that it's a dome. So the crowd noise just elevates even more than that. And I think these kids are pretty excited. The fact that you get to play in this type of stadium, uh, they're going to be walking in there. Hopefully the coaches take them there uh, on Friday just to kind of get that out of the way. You know, I think the first experience of walking to that stadium and seeing everything, seeing how new and beautiful it is, I think that's going to kind of shock the kids at first. Uh, so I think as a coach, you want to get them in there Friday, get that experience over with us, show them the locker room, show them the field, uh, get those quarterbacks a good feel of where the play clock is and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but I think as soon as the jitters come off, uh, hopefully after the first quarter, guys start to settle down and just play their game. Uh, I think you'll see a lot more relaxation on, on both the coach's side and the player side. And, and then from there, just playing ball. Playing ball. That's what they're there to do. You 
have to play the game. The beauty of football. It doesn't matter what they say. All right, so let's jump into our punt, pass, and pick portion of the podcast here. We're going to talk about a few more games across the SEC landscape that will be rounding out week one of the college football season. Aaron, I just want like a couple of one-liners here. Talk to me about what you think the betting lines are going to go down, and then uh, let me know what you think on a couple of the players, coaches, etc. First things first, though. You were on Inside College Football, CBS Sports Network debut, and you talked about your former team, Georgia. Randy Cross said Georgia is going to be the most overhyped team in 2017. Now, I have a question on that because you didn't really disagree with them, and I, and I think I understand why. But Randy's from the Atlanta area. You're obviously spending your time in the Atlanta area as well. Likewise for me. But the thing here is this. On a national scale, Georgia's ranked 15th. I mean, that's nothing crazy. I think that's right where they deserve to be. Other than that, people are saying, hey, they may or may not win the weak SEC East. Is that really reason to call them the most overhyped team in college football for 2017? I don't think I agreed with them when I said most overhyped team. I just think Georgia, I was agreeing with the fact that he was saying Georgia's always a little overhyped heading to the season. There's always high expectations. They're going to win the East, going to win a national championship. And I just think that's the expectations that Georgia puts on itself, and I think it's a good thing, and I think it's a good thing for all SEC teams. I mean, you want to shoot for the sky. You want to be considered one of the best teams in the country. You want to tell yourself that we're going to win the East, we're going to win the national championship this year. Uh, So I see nothing wrong with that. I think they just got to go out there and perform and play in these big games. You know, the games versus Florida and Gainesville, we have to get better at going in there and being the Gators and win the East. And then obviously getting to the SEC championship being able to go and win that game. So it is, you know, 15's not high, and it is a weak SEC East, but it is the SEC. It is Georgia. You are going to be playing Florida. You are going to be playing Auburn. So uh, the expectations are high, and like I said, it's a good thing, and I think, you know, we have the ability this year to go out there and, and match those expectations. Yeah, I do agree with you on that. It comes with the territory. Uh, Georgia has an extremely passionate fan base. They're always going to tell you that they can win the national championship and the SEC, so – Hey, if you're in the Atlanta area or around the southeast, you understand Georgia and the fans and the coaches and everybody around the program sets extremely high expectations, whether or not that makes them overhyped remains to be seen in 2017, but they got a pretty decent kickoff game, a team that is known as a, a giant killer. The Appalachian State Mountaineers are coming into Athens. Georgia's a 14.5-point favorite. The over-under is 45.5. Give me some quick hits. I think for, I think Georgia needs to be careful of this game. I don't want them to to overlook this game and look to Notre Dame. I think that's a big trap for them at the moment. You have all this hype about heading to Notre Dame, and everyone's been talking about this game for months and months and months about the excitement of going to South Bend, the excitement of ticket prices are $700, $800, and it's just all the talk has been about Notre Dame. So for these players, for these coaches to kind of – reel it in a little bit and focus in on a great Appalachian State team, a team that has had 21 wins in the past two, t- two seasons, uh, a team that won their conference last season and, and almost beat Tennessee in week one last year. You know, they brought Tennessee to overtime and Tennessee won 20 to 13. So the worst thing you can do if you're Georgia is overlook this team uh, and, and lose this game because then, then you're down heading into Notre Dame. So they need to focus in on what's most important. That's this first game heading into it. Uh, and go out there and and execute and and put a whooping on these guys. Yeah, you said it right. This team knows how to win. Uh, They've got a lot of returning starters. They've taken on big-time programs in big-time settings before. 
Uh, I said it this week. I think Appalachian State honestly has a better chance to beat Georgia than Notre Dame does next week. I, I honestly feel that way. And I think if Georgia just doesn't turn the ball over and if the offensive line does anything to improve on what they were a year ago, Georgia should win and Georgia should cover. And now, that, now that's just the, the facts. If they do turn the ball over, uh, if weather plays a factor, this game could be uncomfortably close. I think Georgia wins regardless. I'm going to pick them to cover, and I think the game goes over 45 and a half because I feel like Georgia is going to put some points on the board. I agree. I think it's. I think Georgia will cover. I definitely think it's going to go over. Uh, but like I said, they got to be careful. Um, this Appalachian State team, they have a great quarterback in Taylor, Taylor Lamb. 27 wins as a quarterback, starting quarterback for this team. 24 touchdowns last year, and they also have a very talented running back in Jalen Moore. So a very experienced team coming into Athens, and, and the dogs have to be ready for it. Like I said, they cannot be overlooking this game. Uh, but it comes down to offensive line play. If that offensive line can gel, give Jacob some, Jacob some time in the pocket and open up some running lanes for those running backs to kind of outpower that defense. Uh, I think the dogs will come out victorious. I, like I said, I think they will cover, uh, and I see this being a pretty high-scoring game. All right, next game, LSU against BYU. This game, unfortunately, had to be moved from Houston to New Orleans. Obviously, Houston dealing with some serious devastation because of Hurricane Harvey, but the game's been moved. LSU's a 16.5-point favorite, over-under is 46.5. The storyline here, new offensive coordinator Matt Canada heading up that play calling for Ed Orgeron and the LSU Tigers and Darius Geis still on the backfield. I think this one's pretty simple. I think with all the change throughout the game, LSU probably takes care of business. I don't think they're going to reinvent the wheel on offense. They're going to hand that ball off to Darius Geis. They'll put some points on the board. I would assume and think that they cover the 16.5, and, and it goes over 46.5. I, I think LSU wins. I don't think this is going to be a high-scoring game. You look at a BYU team last week versus Portland uh, that won, and they only won 20 to nothing. I don't think this team is meant to score a lot of points. Uh, yes, they have a, great, a very good quarterback in Tanner Magnum, uh, second-year guy, but I think this team, BYU, is meant to play in close games. I think that's their specialty. And I think for LSU, you're right. They don't have the talent on the outside. They don't have the talent at quarterback to kind of play into the type of offense that Canada wants. I think he wants a more spread offense, throw the ball over the park. But if you don't have the guys for that, then you can't do it. So it's going to be a, a pound-the-ball game, give guys the ball, let him do his thing, Um but I just don't see a high-scoring game. I don't think either offense is very powerful. I think two very good defenses that are going to keep things close. Um, so I do not see LSU covering, and I don't see it going over 47.5. I just think it's going to be a close game uh, between two offenses that aren't that great and two defenses that are, are decently strong. LSU definitely a lot stronger, but BYU, that's more of their game. All right, and last game of the weekend that we're going to cover, Texas A&M going to UCLA, a rematch of an ex extremely exciting game one year ago. This game's on Sunday afternoon. A&M's getting three and a half. The over-under's 56 and a half. I think a lot of question marks here. I, I kind of feel bad for Josh Rosen because he is playing football and he is a student athlete. That's got to be so tough on him. A very, very, tough. Very, a very, very big burden for him. So hopefully he can prioritize and at least get a, a few minutes to study and get in the playbook and watch some film and then maybe, just maybe, 
deliver some accurate passes, hand the ball off, and get out with the victory. But I think UCLA wins this game. I don't think Texas A&M is going to win. I think it's going to be under that 56-and-a-half mark. I don't think it goes into overtime like a year ago. Coach Mora on the hot seat. So is Kevin Sumlin, though, at Texas A&M. I just feel like UCLA has a bit more to prove, uh, and they're going to be able to get out of there with a victory against an SEC foe, and then the rumblings will begin in College Station and Kevin Sumlin. The worst thing for Texas A&M right now, going back to Josh Rosen, Rosen, is I believe they're on a tri-semester, so I don't think they're in class at the moment. Oh, so God. Have, oh thank God. Thank he God. doesn't have to worry about school just oh, yet. He can wow. just focus on football. So that is a huge positive for the UCLA <laughs> Bruins right there. Um, I think it's going to be a, a fun game. I have UCLA winning this one. I think I think the biggest thing is just it's a home game for them. Uh, Talent-wise, uh, especially on the defense side of the ball, I think Texas A&M is going to do a great job of stopping this offense. I think they're going to more of a 3-4 this year. I think they have some talent over there, some athletes, where they're going to be able to kind of mix it up, bring some exotic blitzes and show some exotic looks to, uh, to, to Josh to kind of confuse him a little bit on the UCLA side. So, it's going to be a good game, definitely under the 56 and a half. Uh, but I do have UCLA covering and, and end up winning this game just purely on the fact that they're not in school right now. And Josh can fully focus on football, and it's a home game as well. So I got the Bruins winning this one. Awesome, awesome. Well, look, that's uh, a lot of football covered, a lot of picks made, a lot of money to be made for our fans and listeners. What's the number one thing you're most looking forward to watching or seeing this weekend? I think it's definitely the the Alabama FSU game. I think not only between those two teams, but just the the all the talk this offseason about SEC, ACC, ACC being more dominant right now. I think this game is going to really demonstrate not only who the best team in the country is, but also what conference, where the conferences are heading right now, because you have the best two teams in each conference going at it right from week one. So. Big battle for the teams and two big and a big battle for the conference as well. Yeah, for me, I think the most the, the number one thing that I want to see this weekend is just the outrage that comes out of Tuscaloosa when the offensive play calling is a bit dodgy and they lose the game, a close game. That'll be crazy because nobody's ever seen Alabama have to put their hands up and say, "Man, what's going on? What's wrong?" It begins this weekend after FSU delivers them a devastating loss, which really won't mean much in the end. But, wow, it'll be a great game to watch. I know everybody's extremely excited to tune in. Well, hey, we want to thank everybody for tuning in to this Punt and Pass podcast, week one of the Punt and Pass podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you like. Leave us a review. Do all that good stuff. Holler at Aaron and I on social media. He is at AaronMurray11. I'm at DrewButler13. The show is at Punt and Pass. And next week we're going to be touching on a lot more college football games, specifically that Notre Dame versus Georgia game. And I think we'll have a special guest, Mike Golick Jr. of ESPN, I believe, will be joining us here on the Punt and Pass podcast. So it'll be a great jam-packed week again. One more time, we thank everybody for tuning in to this week's edition of the Punt and Pass podcast. Have a good one. See you all next week.